But I want to start off this message with something to think about, something I typically do with our messages, and I want you to stop and, and think about this. What is the worst gift you have ever received? Stop and think in your mind for a moment. You probably can't say it out loud because there's a good chance the person that gave it to you is also sitting in the sanctuary. <laughs> so you probably can't say it out loud. I, I'll put myself on the chopping block here and tell you one of the worst gifts I ever received. Uh, my family's back in Philadelphia, so unless they're listening online, I think I'm safe. But uh, when I was 13 years old, this would have been 1993. I know I'm starting to date myself a little bit. Some of you think I'm really young, and now some of you think I'm really old. But back in 1993, there was a certain style of clothing back then in Philadelphia, where I was born and raised. And, uh, well, I kind of laugh about it now, but the style when I was 13 years old, there was a company called Cross Colors. And I'm looking at some Philadelphians who know exactly what I'm talking about. Cross Colors were multicolored overalls. They made them in green, they made them in yellow, they made them in red, and the really cool kids would get a pair of cross colors and then go to a t-shirt shop and get an artist to airbrush your name down one of the pant legs. I thought that was the absolute coolest thing a 13-year-old could do. And not only that, but when I was 13 years old, most of you may remember Bo Jackson. Bo Jackson may be one of the greatest pure athletes that's ever played professional sports. He played uh, baseball for the Kansas City Royals. He played football for the LA Raiders. And there was a Nike commercial that came out in the early 90s, Bo Knows. Bono's basketball and Bono's baseball and Bono's football. So I had it in my mind for Christmas I was going to get a pair of cross-color overalls. Back then we didn't call them overalls, we called them jumpers because we thought we were cooler than everybody else. And I was going to get Bono's down the right pant leg and the O in Bo was going to be a baseball and the O in nose was going to be a, a football or a basketball. I had it all mapped out in my head. So my mom said, what do you want for Christmas? I said, just a pair of cross colors. That's all I want. I don't even care what color. They could be green. They could be red. They could be yellow. I just want one pair of cross colors. So Christmas morning comes along. There's a bunch of gifts under the tree. To my mother's credit, my parents divorced when I was young, and, and, and Christmases were awful tight, but my mother always did an amazing job to give us a wonderful Christmas. But I opened up all my presents, and there was one left. And I looked at it, and I opened it up, and I pulled the wrapping paper back, and it said J.C. Penney on the box. I said, they sell cross colors at J.C. Penney's. This is good. This is good. And so I opened up the box, and I pulled back the tissue paper, and it was the ugliest pair of green Lee jeans that I'd ever seen in my life. I was not going to wear them. I was not going to have my name airbrushed anywhere near them. And so what do you do when you get a gift that you don't like and there's someone next to you? You kind of smile and you just say, oh, thank you. And they walk out of the room. You're like, oh, my, my sister's pointing at me. And, and she, said, she said one thing that we all think in our minds. She said, Bo, you better pray she has a gift receipt. <laughs> right? When we get an awful gift, one of the first things that we do is we pray that we can exchange it for something that we really want. What I want to do is we open up God's Word and we're going to look at just one verse. What I want us to think about today is what I call Easter's Great Exchange. Easter's Great Exchange. Because what took place on that cross on Friday and what we celebrate coming out of that empty tomb on Sunday is the greatest exchange that we could ever hope for as God exchanged something special with mankind where we gave God our very worst gift, which is our sin. And he gave us his very best gift, which is his righteousness. 
So let us think about those things as we turn to the book of 2 Corinthians. Okay, if you don't have a Bible, there's some pew Bibles in front of you. We're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and we're going to be reading just verse 21. It's uh, page 1148 in your pew Bibles. If, you, if you're new to church, maybe they're your first time holding a Bible. All right, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 5 is the big number. 21 is the small number. Big numbers, chapters, small numbers, verses. And uh, I love to hear the sound of those pages turning. Amen. 2 Corinthians 5.21. Now, I typically ask us to stand, but because of being packed in here like sardines today, I'm going to let you stay where you're seated, get nice and comfortable. We're going to read just one verse. We'll pray together, and then we'll ask God to open up our hearts to receive the truth of this message. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we're in verse 21. Hear the word of the Lord. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Let us pray together. Gracious Heavenly Father, we love you. And again, we thank you and we praise you for this beautiful Easter day that you have made. Father, I pray in the short time that we have left here this morning as we have gathered in your house, we've already seen the gospel proclaimed in truth and song and in the wonderful drama from your children. Father, I just pray as we consider the truth of this passage that you would help us to understand what really took place on the cross, what really took place in the tomb, this great exchange where we give you our very worst, yet you give us your very best. Father, open up our hearts and minds to receive this. If there be but one person in this sanctuary here this morning who's here visiting, who is here simply to support the kids or is here on Easter because they feel like they need to be, but they don't know Jesus. I pray today, Father, you would remove hearts of stone and you would replace them with hearts of flesh that they would know, receive, and respond to Jesus Christ in repentance and faith. Be with us now as we consider the truth of this passage. Help me to preach it in a way the words and the honor and the glory would all be yours, and I would merely be your servant. It's in Jesus' name we pray, and God's people said, Amen. Amen. Only one verse. So much truth in this one verse. I'm going to go back and look at this verse. And then I want to apply it to our lives. What, what does this mean and why does it matter? What does this mean and why does it matter? All right, so as we look at first, or 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, the very beginning of the passage says this, For our sake he made him to be sin. All right, let me stop right there and say, for our sake who? He, meaning God, made him, meaning Jesus, to be sin. So God made Jesus an object of sinful wrath. What does that mean and why did he do it? What does that mean and why did he do it? I think a lot of times we go through reciting these sentences that try to describe the Christian faith that we never stop and ask why. And I'm going to tell you, when I was a youth pastor at this church many years ago, every single Wednesday we'd go through a catechism. I'd say, what is the gospel? And they'd say, the gospel's good news, Mr. Bo. What's the good news? That Jesus Christ died on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins. And then I would say, why did him dying on a cross actually forgive sins? Why did a man have to die on a cross for us to be forgiven by God? And then you hear crickets. And that's not to make fun of anybody because until we stop and think about this, we've not made our faith real. What took place on the cross? What took place on the cross? I believe there's three steps in the transaction of the great exchange that I'd like to share with you. And the first of that is this. Number one, what is the great exchange? Number one, we give Jesus our worst gift, and that's sin. 
when Jesus was hanging on the cross and he was crying out the words of the Psalms, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Can I say this? A lot of times in movies and a lot of times in churches, we spend a lot of time talking about the physical pain of the nails being driven into his wrist and the nails being driven into his feet. And surely that's part of it because that is excruciating physical pain. But I do not believe that is why Jesus Christ was crying out those words. I believe that Jesus Christ was crying out those words because he was experiencing those few hours on the cross. He was experiencing spiritual pain that we cannot possibly imagine. Because what was happening on the cross was that God the Father was treating him as a sinner. And on the cross, Jesus was getting the punishment for our sins poured on him wave after wave after wave after wave. And after each hour on the cross, he's feeling the weight of our sins, past, present, and future. And the weight of those sins, the weight of being separated from God, the weight of the Father putting the punishment on the Son, just moved him to cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why is it that we so easily gloss over this, this picture that we have in our minds? Here's what I believe, and I'm just being honest because this is who I was before I became a Christian. We're going to talk in a minute about how great God is, but I do not think that we stop and think how bad we are. That's not a popular message in America in 2017 because we tend to measure ourselves by the standards of the world. Okay, so you turn on WTOC or you read the Matter Advertiser and you hear what person was arrested for drug dealing or what person went to prison or what person's gotten, you know, in all these types of uh, crimes of abuse and burglary and theft. And you say, well, I've never done those things. I've never gone to jail. I've never struggled with drugs. I must be a good person. Well, maybe by the standards of the world, but never by the standards of God. Because God is loving, but He's also holy. I think we get the love of God. I think we miss the holiness of God. Here's what I mean by holy. What what I mean by holy is this. It means when you die and you stand before God, you're going to see a God who loves you and wants you to be with Him forever. But you're going to also see a God who is so holy that if you've ever committed even one sin... If you've ever thought something impure or said something impure or done something impure, even that one sin, God would say to you, I love you, but I cannot be with you forever because where I dwell, there can be no sin whatsoever. And there are thousands upon thousands upon thousands of human beings every day who take their final breath and they're entering into eternity and they're getting ready to stand before God and they've got a big smile on their face because they've been good by the standards of the world, but they've also been sinful and they never had their sin accounted for by a Savior. And God will say to them, depart from me for I never knew you. And those are going to be painful words because we're sinful Sin separated us from God. But because God is loving, He made a way for us to be reunited with Him through His Son. And so that's what takes place on the cross. Jesus had to live perfectly the way that we could not live to be the perfect sacrifice because God has to punish every single sin. 
So when Jesus, as the perfect sacrifice, takes the cross, all the punishment that we deserved, God took it and he put it in the blood of Jesus Christ, the Passover lamb of God, who John says takes away the sins of the world. So when Jesus is hanging on the cross, he's thinking about you and he's thinking about me and he's thinking about all the things that we've done wrong. And he says, I know you can't take this pain, but I'm taking it for you. That's love and that's holiness that we cannot possibly fathom. And we offer that to him. (laughs) That's the gift that we offer to Jesus, our sin. It's worse than a pair of green jeans in a JCPenney's box. It's much worse. But we offer that to him, and he takes it on the cross. That's the first step of this transaction of the great exchange. That moves us on to number two. Jesus exchanges our sin for his greatest gift, and that's righteousness. So what is righteousness? You come to church, and you've heard Christians say this word before, but if we don't stop and define our terms, it's useless to use words if we don't understand them. So what do I mean by righteousness? What I mean by righteousness is God's perfection. God is perfect And Jesus, who is fully God and fully man, he came and lived on this earth 33 years in human form. And in that time, it's amazing to think about this. Jesus never one time had a sinful thought. Never one time had a sinful word. Never one time did a sinful deed. So that when he was prepared to be the sacrifice on the cross, they said he's the perfect sacrifice because he has never once sinned. Not only is he God looking down at man, but he's the perfect man looking up at God. Because when I look at Jesus, I see who human beings should be. Sin is what's gotten in the way. But when Jesus earned that righteousness, when he did everything right, here's the the great news of Easter morning. When he did everything right, and he came out of that tomb on Sunday morning, two things happened. Number one, he showed himself to the world that his sacrifice was accepted by the Father. And the second thing, he offered to the world his perfection. He said, if you place your faith in me when you die, you get credit for what I did. You get credit for what I did. That's an amazing exchange. We couldn't do anything right. He can't do anything wrong. But when we put our faith in him, he takes all the punishment and he gives us all the rewards. Now, for those of you who are adults and have had to handle money at any time in your life, There's an example I often use with our church. Many of you who are members here have heard this example before, but I think it helps us to understand a modern-day illustration. All right, if you've ever gone to a bank and you've ever looked to get a loan, you know what a cosigner is, amen? All right, so think about this for a moment. Picture that the kingdom of heaven is found in a bank and the president of the bank who is God wants to offer you a line of credit so you can be a part of the kingdom. And you sit down at his desk and he's loving. And he's saying, I'm so glad you're here. I want so desperately to give you this line of credit. But then he looks at your credit score and it's not perfect. And he says to you, I'm loving and I want to give you this line of credit, but I'm perfect. I'm the perfect banker. I cannot give it to you unless you have a perfect credit score. And all of a sudden, you're discouraged and you realize there's just no way I'm going to get this line of credit. But then the son of the president comes around the end and says, Dad, I have a perfect credit score. And the father says, quit bragging. (laughs) And And then the son says to the father, 
Would it be okay if I co-signed on their loan? And the father says, you can. But if you do, you're going to be held liable for what they've done wrong. And they're going to get credit for what you did right. In which case the son would say, that's why I earned a perfect credit score to begin with. And think about this. If you get a loan and somebody signs as your co-signer and you default on the loan, who are they going after? The co-signer. Because the co-signer's taking liability for what you were wanting all along, that perfect line of credit. Well, that's what took place on the cross. Jesus co-signed on our loan papers of eternal life and he did it with drops of blood. He said, I'll take the penalty for their imperfect credit score and I will, when I come out of that tomb, I will show to them that I earned a perfect credit score and I give it to them that they receive all the rewards that I earned and I'll take all the punishment that they deserved. That's the great exchange. And that's what took place on the cross. So we know that we give Jesus our worst gift, which is sin. Jesus exchanges it for his best gift, which is righteousness. And third and finally, we complete this great exchange through three ways. Repentance, faith, and surrender. Repentance, faith, and surrender. Now we're getting to the hard part. Now we're getting to the part where there's some of you that will never make it to this final step. The first part I want to say is repentance. To repent of sin means to confess that you are a sinner. And most of the people that I've come across in my life who've not accepted Jesus, they get to this part of the presentation of the gospel and they say, but I'm a good person. There's no way that God is going to judge me on perfection. When I die, he's going to judge me on all the good things I did. I mean, I give money to the Red Cross, and, and, I, and I've adopted children, and, and I've never been in prison, and, and I love my neighbor. I mow the grass for my neighbor when he or she can't mow the grass. And I do all these things, and I stay out of trouble, and I, I've worked a long job, and I have a long, successful retirement ahead of me. Why would God send me to hell if he's loving and I've been a good person? Repentance means you're finally willing to admit that by his standards, you're not a good person. And those are heavy words, but the Bible says, Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Do you know this? You inherited a sinful nature before you even committed your first sin. Adam and Eve, our, our, our eternal grandmother and grandfather in the Garden of Eden, they committed the original sin, and when they gave birth to children who gave birth to children, we were all born into this fallen, sinful nature. All right? we, we, we sin because we're sinners, because it's a part of our nature. That's what we do. But, that's, but if that's all it was, then that would be awful news. But the good news is God made a way. He made a way for us to be forgiven, to be redeemed. And this, this just amazes me that when we stand before God at the kingdom of heaven, he's going to look at you and say, you are perfect, perfect because of Jesus, because of what Jesus did. And the first stage to receive this gift, this great exchange, the first step is repentance. It's looking in the mirror and say, God, I confess to you, I am a sinner and I need to be saved. That's the first step. The second step is faith. Is believing not only that you need a Savior, but that Jesus Christ took care of your needs on the cross and He fulfilled it by coming out of the tomb. That's faith. That's believing. Faith is believing in advance what only makes sense in reverse. That's faith. Believing what's already happened even though we haven't seen it with our eyes because we believe it in our hearts and we know that when we meet God... 
God will say that you are forgiven and that you are perfect because of what the Son has done. So that's repentance, that's faith. Now the final part, that's surrender. If Jesus died for you, He's called for you to live for Him. Now here's what I want to say. It blesses my heart to look out here this morning and see a full house. And again, I know there are many of you here who are faithful members at other churches, and I pray a blessing upon you. And I pray a blessing upon your families and your churches. We're on the same team. I want to see every sanctuary in this community filled to the brim. And that's what we want to see. We want to see God's kingdom be established. I believe with all of my heart that we're on the brink of a revival in Candler County. And I believe that revival is going to spill out into every church who's faithfully preaching this book. I believe that with all my heart. But I say the word surrender because I want to say this. I'm scared to death as a pastor to give somebody false hope of assurance if their hearts have never been changed. There may have been a time in your life where you said a prayer. There may have been a time in your life where you were actually baptized. But only you and God know this. Has your heart changed? Do you really, can you really say if you look at your life in a given year that your life belongs to God? Do you love his word? Do you love his church? Do you love spending time with his people? Throughout the course of each year of your life, if you're a Christian, what you say, think, and do will prove whether you're truly a believer or not. Now, that's not to say that you read the Bible to be saved. You don't go to a church to be saved. If you are saved, you will read His Word and you will be a part of His church because you will have a desire to do the things that God would have you to do because His Spirit lives inside of you. And so as we, as we pray, and, and again, I pray a blessing upon you that you would have a wonderful Easter Sunday with family. As we pray and, and have a time of invitation, I just pray that you would seek your own heart and say, God, have I truly surrendered to you? Is Jesus Christ truly the Lord of my life? And if not, would you pray and ask God to forgive you right where you're seated? Would you ask God to save you right where you're seated? And then when this service is over, I'd be honored if you'd grab me, grab one of our deacons, grab another adult in this church that you'd like to share that with. Or if you're visiting from another church, make sure that you get in touch with your leadership at your church as soon as possible and share with them what God is doing in your heart right now. Make it a front burner issue in your life. Jesus went to the great lengths to fulfill this great exchange. He took on our sin. He gave us his righteousness. And we no longer need a gift receipt. We need only to repent. We need to believe. And we need to surrender. Let us pray together. Oh, Heavenly Father, I love you. We love you. Father, I feel so inadequate to preach your gospel. It's so deep and long and beautiful. And I just, I, I'm just struggling for words up here, Father, to just proclaim the glory of it. But Father, you are the owner of all glory. So I just pray you would let your glory be known. As we exit out of your house into your community, Father, I just pray that you keep our hearts and minds open to what it is that you're showing us. Father, I pray again, if anybody in this room would not know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, that They've not fulfilled the, the transaction of this great exchange. They've not given their life over to him. Father, I pray today would be the day of salvation. And for those who have truly believed, but maybe have fallen away, 
I pray that today would be the day of recommitment. Today would be the day of saying, I realize, Jesus, that you have died for me and I have not really lived for you, but I'm going to make a change. Father, help us as a church to encourage those who are truly believers and to come alongside those and continue to pray for those and teach those who have not placed their faith in the Lord. Help us to be faithful to you. We thank you for the great exchange. We thank you for the cross. We thank you for the empty tomb. We thank you that he is risen, seated at the right hand of Almighty God, and we thank you that we will see him again, that we will bow before him and cry out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God and the Lamb. Father, we love you, we thank you, and praise you. And offer these words in Jesus' name. Amen.